0: See you and I, together,
1: forever, in
0: love. Welcome back, everyone i'm colin and today i'm joined with angela nolan we're going to discuss Catherine martell and her role in the secret history the access guide of the town and the original series but before that i'll hand the mic to angela so she can introduce herself further
1: hi twin peaks fans i am angela nolan and i attended the twin peaks festival between 2005 until pretty much it ended and i did get a chance to meet piper lori once and i've already always identified with her character Catherine Martell so I'm excited to talk to Colin about her today.
0: So I guess the best part to start off is that uh, when we start off with the pilot she has this certain wrathfulness with her words and her gaze but the thing is that you learn as the show goes on and if you go through the books as well that there's a little more to it because uh, I guess we could start off where she marries Pete Martel in 1958 because they got reacquainted at the annual square dance where uh, Pete was uh, crowned as Lumberjack of the Year and was and had the, because of that, he could ask any woman to dance with him. And he picked Catherine. And uh, I guess it's probably worth mentioning is that in the secret history, Tammy just calls like this is just total BS. But I guess uh, going beyond that though, is that the love between them ended up being short lived. And that uh, Pete ended up telling Major Briggs at one point that he gives like 70% of the relationship and that as long as like each of them are given 100% total, it doesn't necessarily matter. And also later on he says that she's plain hell to live with after he was inebriated. But then also with Andrew Packard, where he was the friendly face of the company. And then Catherine was that uh, had that certain tenacity to keep things really running the Packard sawmill. But then, of course, this kind of leads into the boating accident where where he kind of catches wind of it and he kind of hides away. And uh, all this is uh, leading up to the idea that with Josie, that Catherine just saw right through her from the early on and that she was going to end up just like making things worse. And it was going to put a rift into the Packard sawmill. So I guess this is kind of like where we kind of lead in with the pilot is that, you know, she has to live in the same house with Josie and that like, you need to be a certain type of person to kind of deal with someone of her history. And I just wasn't sure if you had any stances on in particular of where Catherine was by this point with all we know about her so far.
1: Yeah. Catherine kind of comes off as like a bit of a bitch at first. Like we just think that she's this hardcore bitch and she's just being mean to Josie. And we see that, You know, there's almost like a little hint that there might be, you know, something going on between Pete and Josie, too. So we just get a little hint of their love for each other, which I think was always platonic, but still there. And so but then you see her run off with Ben Horn at the same time. And you're like, oh, wait, what is she getting mad about when she clearly isn't appreciating the great husband that she has? And, you know, she's cheating on him. But what is her problem with Josie? And so obviously we find out later that this goes way deeper because although she comes off as a bitch, she's really a boss bitch. Like nothing gets past Catherine. She's steps ahead of everybody. Like you said, she's seeing right through Josie. And she knows that the deception is happening in her home, under her nose, like right in front of her. And she can't really do anything about it yet because she has to bide her time in order to do the right moment because she's actually playing both ends against the middle with sleeping with Benjamin Horn, who wants the ghostwood estate and the mill and Josie, who's trying to pretty much get them run the mill into the ground, it has no idea how to run that either. And so Catherine just wants control of the mill and is trying to destroy pretty much everybody in her path at the same time. So she's thinking like so many steps ahead of what everybody else is doing.
0: Yeah, that's the thing is that uh I do uh it's one of those uh parts where every time I do a rewatch where the whole angle with uh Catherine, Josie and Ben Horn, where both shows it'd be pretty bland of just seeing them trying to like screw each other over in terms of like getting the land that they want but the way that Richard Beamer, Piper Laurie, and Joan Chen do it is actually more than compelling but you know moreover, the case of Catherine and Ben's relationship is that it's definitely not looking good on either end like uh, I mean I know that extramarital affair is kind of a prerequisite for basically being a citizen in Twin Peaks but yeah there's a there's that part where I'm fast forward a little bit but it's around right before Ben's meltdown where uh, when she finally gets everything she needs from Ben, where she takes all of his land and everything from him, is that she, talk, she the way she describes it, I think some of the effect of how she's like, oh, we've been dishonest throughout our whole relationship. Why spoil it with the truth now? And I think that sets the present for like how they are and how they interact with each other to continue on with it in the first season. When she finds the poker chip, that definitely sets her off. And uh, so she goes to, I forget what events at the Great Northern, but she spills that bit of champagne on him. And then most cases, Ben would not put up with that sort of thing publicly. But then uh, she goes, she shows the poker chip, uh, slaps him across the face a few times. And then they have this like passionate romance right after. I don't know. It's one of those things where it definitely takes actors of, uh, of Richard Beamer and Piper Laurie's caliber to be able to make that relationship work.
1: Absolutely. I love um, their dynamic together and their passion together. That is my favorite scene when she finally reveals herself in the jail cell. And all you see is just the toes, the red painted toes slip through the bars. And that's all it takes. Because even though she should have been recognizable (laughs) in her Japanese man suit, but the moment she slips her toes through the bars, I mean, he knows those feet better than anything else. And, you know, it kind of shows how much the, you know, she was the dominating one in their sexual relationship and how much worship he gave her. So He just immediately just got on his knees and was like, please, I'll do anything for you. Not only did they, you know, he probably wasn't going to be held for her murder. It didn't hold a lot of weight at all. But just the fact that she was alive and that she was back and that's his goddess that he wanted to worship. And she just gives him that look, you know, and it's just like, Benhorn, you slimy rat bastard.
0: No, I think this is the part where it's like in the case of how Catherine Martell and uh, Mr. Tojomore are handled. I think a lot of what happens behind the scenes is kind of like can kind of convey itself in in front. Because in the case of uh, the relationship with uh, Ben and Catherine, I know that after they because it shows that I forget which episode it is, but early on season one after like after they make love in the hotel where apparently like, Oh, how do we show that they had this, like, you know, this wild afternoon together and Piper Laurie was like, no, I'm not smearing my lipstick. No, I'm not going to dishevel my hair. So that's where the feet thing came in. And uh, I mean, to be honest, like stuff like that is what makes twin peaks, like the, what it is, like it has to have that certain idiosyncrasy, but the one I'm really interested in is uh, with Mr. Tojimura, where next to the, I uh, trying to keep the identity of uh, Laura's killer uh, keeping Mr. Tojimura was like this bizarre secret, because I couldn't believe that they one had a different fake name for for the actor for Mr. Tojimura because I think it was a well guarded secret that they put Piper Laurie in makeup, and then uh there'd be a couple of people around the cast and crew that were like, eh, who is this like i and they they kind of like would start to deduce that it has to be Piper Laurie, but no one actually confirmed it, no one called it out until they filmed the scene in the uh in the David Lynch episode
1: where she finally kisses Pete and -hmm. reveals herself from what I hear that he didn't even know that was going to be her in it and that you know, that that was going to be what happened. David was great about just feeding people lines, and also just, you know, capturing real reactions and recording that, because that's even better than anything that they could act out. So, from what I understand, that Jack Nance didn't know that that was Piper Laurie, even in that scene, up until the kiss, you know, and they did a similar thing. In Firewalk With Me, like, when they ask Irene about the specials, they just, like, ask her about it, and told her to tell them we don't have any specials, and so the looks, like, you get back on the guy's faces are just their genuine looks like oh well we don't really know what to say now
0: <laughs> no because i remember when i first watched the scene because um i i had no clue that it would be piper laurie under that i just kind of accepted it. i was like oh maybe they just have someone just playing a japanese businessman who's not actually japanese but i think that it's so interesting because that scene it's actually not right before or after but it's in between revealing who laura's killer was so it adds this, like, no matter how many times we rewatch it, there's this weird, just unsettling nature, because I remember the first time I watched it, because it's the part where you see, uh, Sarah, she's crawling down the stairway into the living room, but then it cuts back to, uh, Mr. Tojimora kissing Pete, and you hear, Dummy, it's me! Which I thought was absolutely, like, probably one of the best lines that Piper Laurie delivered, but I remember the first time I was like, wow, this show really was ahead of its time if we're gonna go with, like, this type of relationship, but, um, I think the fact that it ended up being Catherine Martell, though it was full seven episodes, well, I don't no full because I don't think Mister Tojemore was in the season two premiere, but that they kept that pretty well guarded up until that point.
1: They did a great job with that too. I remember watching it when it was originally on TV and not really knowing who that was either. And you know, we also were guessing that maybe that was Catherine, but you know, because when she's called out to the barn when it's set on fire with Shelley Johnson there, and she realizes it, and she's like, "No, give me a moment. I need to think," because she's realizing that somewhere along the way she's been double crossed and. Somebody, most likely Ben Horn, is actually trying to kill her to erase her from getting any of this money or anything like that. And in killing her, they would, you know, be able to even take over the mill and the rest of the Packard estate. Like there'd be almost nothing left that would go to peak. So she's realizing she's been double-crossed and she just, uh, watching her just immediately calculate, how do I, how do I do this? Like, oh, okay, well, they're going to kill me. I'm going to let them think I'm dead. And what did she really do? Because I don't buy that she was actually in a cabin eating tuna fish. Obviously, that's just a story that she gave the sheriffs to sound innocent. Like, oh, I'm just a victim out there trying to survive in the forest. But what was Catherine really doing when we know she's in japanese man suit sometimes but you know where did she stay where did she go what was she's doing in between that where did she get ready in this suit because as a drag performer i know you need a lot of space and time in order to put that kind of look together <laughs>
0: I, and this is actually something i was thinking about after i did my rewatch is that because she does have i mean piper lloyd does a great performance in that scene when she explains to harry truman about what she did after the fire and how she found this cabin she felt like there was like you know, this must be what heaven feels like. And then she only returned because she ran out of food. But then she also, I think she says at some point, I think she says it to Pete right before the Andrew Packard reveal. It's like, oh, surely you must have wondered how I was able to really hide and how I was able to get this disguise and uh, be able to really t- take care of this. Because with Andrew Packard being alive, that means that he has like a certain way of funding. Uh, I think my, my big takeaway is that, she actually had to survive in the cabin for a while before reaching back out to Andrew just because it's a pretty well-guarded secret of like, how do you really reach back out to someone who's reported to be dead? So I think there's a little bit of truth to it, but mostly she ended up lying about the second half to uh, look good in front of Truman.
1: And knowing her, maybe she already had that backup plan in place. Maybe she really did have a cabin or something somewhere stocked for a couple of weeks, never knowing what might happen, or maybe it was even a hideaway place knowing Andrew was alive that maybe a stash house for him sometimes that she just went right to. And yes, so that's, that's its own mystery.
0: In the case of Andrew Packard, I thought up until, um, I don't know, probably recently that, uh, when it shows that reveal that there's like, was basically a hidden room. I thought it was almost like in the movie parasite where there's just like this hidden room within, uh, blue pine lodge and Andrew Packard's been sticking around there for a year and a half. But now, I do think that with uh, with a cabin in mind that maybe there's something to it where if this is actually something that they have, they just use a half-truth of a lot of the story that Catherine used. But I think that uh, another thing I'm thinking of is that in the season one finale, when she's uh, when Shelly Johnson is uh, still kind of held captive and everything's burning, she does have that look on her face like she's thinking on the spot as fast as possible. So I guess I, you know, obviously I can't really confirm or deny, but that is something I think of how like how much of that was really off the cuff for her.
1: It could be. um, But I think that's just who her character was, that she was able to just stay a few steps ahead in the moment she noticed that she was being double-crossed by people. Then she's like, well, how do I get ahead of them as quickly as possible? And, you know, when we look at the whole series of Twin Peaks, um, you know, not really counting the return, but looking at season one and two the original i mean she's the ultimate survivor once we get to that final episode we've lost almost half the cast (laughs) and you know piper lori you know Catherine's the only one left you know that's the survivor of even that whole scenario there's pretty much no one left standing at least not with their dignity
0: I'm glad you brought that up because um, because with the relationship of Catherine and Pete is that uh, it starts to get better by the time you reach the season one finale because they're in like dire straits. But there's that part in the season two premiere when uh, Truman brings Pete home and Pete's like clearly upset by the idea that uh, Catherine is gone or at least he thinks she's gone. And he says that it's like, oh, if I, if there was anyone who I thought that could survive an atomic war, it would have been her. And he thought like he would have gone up before he did. And I think that really does reiterate the height of uh, just the toughest-nail demeanor that Catherine has. Is that in order to kind of live that life that she has, you have to have that certain tenacity and that survivability in pretty much any and every situation.
1: I think it was a wake-up call to her because she did have this protected standoffish part uh, inside of herself that she wasn't letting Pete in. And she was just another person in her life that she could use and manipulate to get what she needed. And she probably saw that in him from the beginning is that, you know, he would make a great husband material because she would be able to control him easily. But she was still there outside the burning barn. You know, when Pete came to rescue her, I'm sure she wasn't very far away. I'm sure she knew that he risked his own life to try to save her. And when she came back into the picture after them believing she was dead, you know, they had that closer bond, knowing that he would have risked himself to save her life. And, you know, she needed to pull him in just a little bit closer on her secrets and keep her closer to him or closer to herself as she did this Andrew reveal and went forward with her other plans. She really needed him on her side and noticed at the end of the day, she was the one he loved and not. Josie
0: this is probably good to kind of get more so about Andrew is that um when I did my Josie Packard episode uh my co-host Pam she was talking about how she thought the relationship between Catherine and Andrew it had a uh like I think it was like she it was referred to as a somewhat not quite incestuous but there was something unhealthy to it and also in the secret history where Major Briggs talks about how she had an unhealthy devotion to Andrew I wasn't sure if you had a certain stance on how that was with how how they functioned with each other.
1: I think that's a a recurring theme we do see in Twin Peaks sometimes. But also when you look at that generation and so much of your generational wealth is dependent upon your male heirs. I'm sure it was always driven into Catherine and that family to honor and respect, you know, brother Andrew. In such a way to make sure she was always taken care of and the wealth came to her if he needed it at some point, but she wasn't ever guaranteed that because if he stayed alive and had any heirs of his own, she would have lost any access to the family money. With just the way things were at the time, which is unfortunate. And that's why she had to kind of rise above a little bit more instead of you look at our our darling daughters of Twin Peaks that are just kind of privileged into the life that they have.
0: Yeah, because I think the uh, like in terms of how the relationship functions, I think of the scene where Pete, he brings breakfast for Catherine and Andrew. And of course he gets a little goofy and creative with andrew's breakfast and Catherine just has this disapproval like you do are worse than the hardy boys when you're with each other and uh it just makes me think i was like yeah she must like hate the fact that these two must like each other for one reason or another because yeah i guess there's just something about andrew is that and this is probably a testament to Dando harley he is that he has like a certain intimidation factor, but also he's, every time I rewatch it, I forgot how much more goofy and endearing he is and how that can kind of clash with both Pete and Catherine, given the circumstances.
1: I think they're cute together, but you know, it became problematic as well because they did kind of go off and try to hardy boy themselves together, which put them on the bad side of Catherine. And that's just what you don't do
0: with everything pertaining to uh, andrew packard that's where thomas eckhart comes in this is a scene that I actually i do need to correct myself for my josie packard episode is that she invites thomas in and of course there's a bit of a triad of obviously she doesn't like josie naturally she doesn't like thomas because of the whole uh, he was the one who put up the idea of basically killing andrew to begin with but i like the idea is that Catherine she has this certain confidence to her where when she uh when she basically forces josie to go to the great northern to see thomas she kind of quietly, doesn't say it, but she basically leaves a gun for her, where it's like she has that certain confidence that she's not gonna, that Josie will not kill Kath on the spot, but will rather go after Thomas first. That's something that I like about in Piper Lloyd's performance is how she has that certain confidence and that certain uh, demeanor of like, she's in control of the situation in any circumstances.
1: She's really manipulative and vindictive with everybody around her. She's able to make them feel like they're close to her, make them feel even special for, you know, gaining her attention and her adoration. Like so many people, Pete and Ben and even Josie work to try to get her at least agreeable with them, if not treat them with a little bit of i wouldn't even say respect but um a little bit of just admiration or you know positive attention at all but yet they all still try to do something behind her back and i mean if you know katherine at all you should not plot against her you should not keep secrets from her so while she keeps everybody manipulated she's also she's just keeping her enemies closer she's just watching their every move nothing is getting by them And so she also knows their weakest points to destroy them. So, I mean, Josie's in such a frightened place at that point. And at one point you wonder if even Josie would use the gun on herself just because she's so stressed out to not even have to deal with this whole situation. Like, how is this all going to go down? And um, just getting the attention of like some woman to woman vice you know, Josie's more likely to do that than kill kill Catherine just because she respects her so much and knows like, well, this is what Catherine's telling me to do. This is probably what I should do. Like this woman is, you know, diabolical. (laughs) and If she's leading you in one direction, you might want to do it. But at the same time, can you ever trust Catherine? So I think Catherine thought some of her problems were going to kind of sort themselves out. At the great northern on that evening
0: on the topic of uh, how Catherine uses weaponry i think of that scene where after josie and thomas are dead where jones goes to uh see her and she already has a weapon drawn of uh and this, this is of course what leads to the box that thomas eckhart leaves for them but yeah that's like even just like there's a certain way where Catherine never fires a gun probably in her mind no she doesn't really have to but she always has a good way of uh of just bring a certain tension in a way that wouldn't traditionally happen with other characters
1: like with the box is a good point. She leaves it there and it has an agreement with them that, they're, that nobody is going to touch it, that they're going to do it together. But of course, Pete and Andrew have to get curious and start figuring it out on their own. And then they want to go investigate what it is without Catherine. And they blow up the whole bank (laughs) and kill everyone. So leaving, you know, Catherine with knowing all the answers without ever having to do any of the hard work herself.
0: I'm not sure if it's worth mentioning, but I know that for the season two finale, in the script at least, it was going to be Catherine, Andrew, and Pete going to the bank. And um, I think the only reason why they didn't film it with Catherine was that because she was working on Storyville with Mark Frost at that point. Which, by the way, I've got to see because I hear great things about it. But I wasn't sure if that if you had any thoughts of what that was like in the script or if you're glad it went one direction or not the other. Because I, I remember that uh, thing. I was like, oh, it just seems kind of weird that Catherine's not really with them. Uh, I mean, to be fair, it is in character for Andrew to kind of like put an identical key in place, to kind of hide it from her. But I just wasn't sure if any stances on that that there was at least a thought process that Catherine would have been in it at some point.
1: I had never heard that piece. And I think the way it went down is the way it should have, because I think that's the the penultimate attest to her character is that she is the survivor in the end, that through all of that, everything literally blew up in everybody's faces. But yet she's the one that's going to collect all the winnings at the end, that she wasn't there at the bank, that she's the one still left alive. After this big, long battle that we've been seeing, you know, between all of these characters since the very beginning. So it wouldn't have been right for her to die. I think that's that's the way it should be. And that's why it was a little upsetting to not hear more about her in the secret history books to see where she went with that. I wouldn't expect Catherine's character to necessarily still be alive 25 years later and in the new season but i i would expect that we'd hear something that she would have done or who was owning the local mill or some sort of commentary on that somewhere
0: yeah that's that's one thing is that um i thought about uh the more because uh, i read through the secret history all the way through once a couple years ago now i just kind of go through it little by little i thought it was a little unceremonious that uh in in the case of secret history the ruins of major briggs and tammy it just kind of says that she's just a recluse after it which is I mean, it's not 100% out of character, but it just seems like it seems like a flimsy way of just like not really expanding on the character, especially since I know that Lynch, he actually wanted her back for season three. But he felt like he couldn't bring Catherine back in a way that fit the framework of season three. And uh, yeah, I just really if if there's one thing I did want to point out is that I do wish that there was a little more of a story. And of course, I know that with the secret history, there's a certain subjectivity to it. But I wish that they expand on it in some capacity because I feel like her just kind of throwing her hands up, giving up right after their death. um, It just it just doesn't ring true.
1: I mean, she did go through a lot and I imagine she'd have some trust issues with anyone and everyone when all the closest people in your life tried to kill or double cross you. And maybe you just want to live drama free now. So maybe she did just kind of go back to her cabin in the woods and collect her paychecks and just live in some peace and goddamn quiet. (laughs) For the rest of her days <laughs> i identify with it so well that i, I definitely understand how she might be feeling
0: <laughs> now i think the part where uh, and uh, of course there's a certain manipulative aspect to her where we see it mostly with pete and uh, a lot of stuff I've trickled down with like uh ben and josie but the thing that i like and uh, one of these actually has seemed that i think is the most underrated of the original series that the first one is that it's right before ben has his civil war i think it's like early on in civil war where she goes to visit him And she has this distinct pity. She's like, you know, despite the fact that you tried to kill me and screw me over, that she actually did enjoy her time with him. And uh, I thought that was actually a really interesting way because the thing is that Ben's like in a midlife crisis that uh, that I mean, he brought all himself. But like she basically claimed everything that she needed. So she didn't have to do that. And then I think of the scene where uh, after Josie's death, where and this is actually the scene I was referring to. That's my favorite scene in the original series. I feel like doesn't get enough recognition. It's when uh, Catherine and uh, Harry, they're just sitting down talking about Josie, about what really could have made her the person she was. And uh, the scene. I think the scene not only permeates with uh, Josie, but with Twin Peaks and, at large, about how, how what she was thinking in the moment was probably truthful to her or was the way that helped her survive. And that despite the fact that Josie has tried to basically actively kill her, that she can't help but feel a certain respect for her.
1: There are definitely two women that were stuck in some hard situations. They were up against a lot of male control in their lives and kind of trapped into their situations and, I'm sure Catherine did have a lot of respect for Josie and her getting out of her situation, her doing what she had to do. And even if Catherine was caught in the crossfire of what Josie had to do, you know, still knows that she would probably would have done the same thing and would have done it a little bit better. Had she been in Josie's situation that, you know, Josie just had a lot of naivete that Catherine didn't have. And so Josie was more acting impulsively in reaction to everything that was happening with her rather than that plotting ahead. But I love the little dynamic when she makes her the housemaid with the little outfit and the hat between the two of them that, you know, one, Catherine feels that I finally got Josie, you know, bowing down to me, being submissive to me, cleaning my house and everything, while Josie is also, in a way, like, succumbing to it knowing that that's just going to gain her more secret access to the things that she needs to get to like oh well if i'm just cleaning i'll be able to clean these records over here and clean these books and find different things and watching them just kind of manipulate each other knowing that each other is doing that to each other but yet they just play this cat and mouse game of who's watching who closer
0: When I think of that scene in particular, I think of uh, where Pete, where he kind of has the stance of like, oh, do you think you're going a little too far with this? I forgot what the requests were at that time, but I think Catherine just has some effect of like, well, it's like basically like, well, she tried to kill me. Like, you know, it's like a how nice do you really expect me to be type of uh, reaction.
1: But yet she kept her in her home, someone who just tried to kill you. You are now just keeping in your home as a servant and trusting that they're not going to kill you. Just the same as handing her the gun, like she knew on some level that there was a mutual respect between them, and neither one of them really wanted the other dead, they're just trying to, they actually, you know, enjoyed the adversarialness of trying to gain control over the mill and the money.
0: Yeah. I think that kind of sums it up is that uh, like, I guess as the closing thoughts is that there is a certain like tenacity and uh, you know, of course, like Catherine in a lot of cases wouldn't win popularity contests, but she still managed to like command respect just by handling herself the way she does.
1: I agree. I I love her so much and just admire the way she would handle herself with grace. No matter what, we can't forget the part where Leland is having his little meltdown after Laura died and dancing and you know your heart just breaks for him watching him and so she just jumps in and makes it look like that's the new dance that everybody's doing and normalizes his grief and his meltdown and just gets everybody to join in rather than draw this negative attention onto you know a very well respected attorney in the community
0: yeah, that's actually a scene i was thinking of when uh, on my recent rewatch is that she technically could have just walked out because you know of course there's the whole dynamic with ben and uh Catherine where they kind of enjoy each other's company but they're also trying to screw each other over but the thing is that like when she does like the dance of like trying to play it off where like everyone's just kind of making fun of like you know out of everyone in this room Catherine's like the only one that comes out of it really looking good because She's just kind of doing whatever she can to make the bad situation better. But uh, yeah, no, that was a scene that was uh, standing out to me when I watched the first season in particular.
1: If there ever was a true matriarch of Twin Peaks, I think Catherine Martell is it. I think she's such a pivotal character to both the story and the town that her influence is far-reaching and goes much deeper than you would ever guess in those first couple of episodes where she just seems like you know she's just some raging cold bitch
0: (laughs) yeah because that's the thing is that uh she for a character outside mr tojimora where she's kind of like confined to the soap opera format probably more than other characters piper lori does a lot with that character
1: i find it just to be incredible like she's the one i look up to the one i admire And, you know, model myself after like a lot of people find ways to identify with say Laura Palmer or Audrey Horn or, you know, maybe even Norma Jennings. But I, I think Catherine Martell is the one that I also have the utmost respect for and she's definitely gained my admiration as well. Oh, yeah.
0: But um, yeah, I think they said everything on my end. Was there anything else you want to talk about Catherine or even just stuff you want to plug now that we're reaching the end?
1: I can't think of anything else about Catherine in particular. I did have one opportunity in my life to meet Piper Laurie and share some space with her and be able to converse with her for a short period of time at one of the Twin Peaks Fest. And she's just a such a genuine nice person and enjoy talking about all the work that she's done you could tell that she had a passion for it and just as somebody maybe talk about their arts and crafts project like a child just showing it to you and it's like showing you oh I did this and this and that on it that's how she spoke about her work she just really enjoyed it and I, I think Catherine had to have been one of her favorite characters.
0: Oh, I'm glad because uh, I had one friend who met her a while back and she said she felt she was almost in the presence of royalty just because there's a certain way that Piper just like handles herself and uh, she said she seemed like also even with the how she felt like she was in the status of royalty that there are just this like kindness and she always just wanted to talk with like anyone who give the time of day uh, which I thought was absolutely great and I actually wish I got to meet Piper Laurie myself.
1: Yeah what a grace, graceful beautific woman.
0: But yeah, no, I think that sums it up. Um, yeah, so I want to say thank you for coming on, Angela.
1: Thank you for having me. Together.